I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... COVID's been a massive accelerant to this. All of a sudden, people can live everywhere, different places. When we started investing in places like Tampa and Washington, D.C. and Portland, Oregon, other venture capitalists who we knew basically said, that's nice, but you guys are crazy. Like, that's a lot of friggin' work. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Our guest today is Tyg Savage. He's the managing partner of Revolution Ventures, very, very talented venture capitalist. We're going to talk about venture capital money and why companies choose his firm over other firms. And guess what? There are real distinct reasons. Also, they've been very, very good at Revolution Ventures in spreading wealth and capital and growth around the U.S. They have a whole program called Rise of the Rest that goes to cities like Louisville and Albany and places that normally don't get venture capital and promoting the growth and entrepreneurship there. And lastly, perhaps most importantly, we talk about culture, because guess what? COVID has changed everything. People don't go to offices anymore. How do you build culture of a high growth company when you're not in the same place? And Tig and his colleagues have some very interesting opinions on that. Here's our conversation. Tyke, welcome to the show. Thanks for for having me. Thanks for having to be here. So your Revolution Ventures, and for those not aware of the economics of sort of private equity versus venture equity, what are some of the dollar splits that you and your colleagues pursue versus the LART or the, the, uh, the other side of the house? Yeah. So it's interesting. The, the, the title private equity has been sort of taken by the later stage investors, buyout shops. The concept of private equity is it's not public dollars and both venture capital and what is commonly thought of as private equity both fit in that. But in the, uh, the common vernacular, venture capital invests in companies that are growth stage companies, uh, not necessarily making money. In fact, usually losing money, they require capital to be able to grow versus buyout funds, which, which most people think of as private equity. They buy companies. They take control positions. Those are usually cash generating companies. They'll put debt on them, use the cash to pay down the debt. Mm-hmm. So we're venture capital investors. We believe in backing people with great ideas and helping them grow those to hopefully become larger ideas. So you and Steve got together, is it 10 years, 15 years? When almost, we- almost 20, going on 20. Isn't that oh, crazy? Yeah. How time flies when you're having fun. And early on, I'm sure you may have felt a tad lonely having a venture fund here in the D.C. area or the DMV because it's not necessarily always known as a hotbed for that. What made you choose D.C.? Well, so the the honest answer is we chose D.C. because we were both here. I got to know, okay. I got to know Steve when he was running AOL. When AOL and Time Warner merged, I joined to help oversee the venture capital group of the combined operation. That's where Steve and I got to know each other. And then when he left, I joined him to create Revolution. The idea behind Revolution was to invest in companies that were revolutionizing their categories. If you go back 20 years to when we, when we created the firm, venture capital really was investing in something different than, than it is today. Back then, it was old school enterprise software. It was boxes like Cisco and Juniper, companies like that, and mm-hmm. old school healthcare. We wanted to invest in companies that were using technology to reinvent or revolutionize, maybe it was an audacious title at the time, existing categories. Mm. So if you were to go back 20 years and say, hey, some of the biggest companies that venture capital is going to back would be a reimagined taxi company like Uber or a reimagined hotel company like Airbnb, people would have laughed. But that's why we called the firm Revolution. Mm -hmm. We thought that's something we could do from anywhere. So we were based here. We knew that we were going to have to hop on airplanes and fly. And we realized pretty quickly that our being located outside of the major sort of investment hotbeds at that time, mostly Silicon Valley, since then Silicon Valley 
Boston and New York, maybe a little bit more, being located outside of those locations could be a real advantage. Mm -hmm. We knew we'd be spending a lot of time on airplanes. We obviously invested heavily in the local area, but we also invested across the country and spent our time building what we think is a leading national brand, investing in the rest, something we call the rise of the rest. We're talking with Tyg Savage. He's the managing partner of Revolution Ventures. Tyg and Steve Case were the co-founders of Revolution here in Washington, D.C. You worked for Riggs Bank, correct, prior to Revolution? Correct. Time Warner? I did. What were you doing there? I'm a very typical D.C. kid. My father was a military guy, ended up being stationed at the Pentagon. I went to high school, public high schools in Fairfax County, public college um, in Virginia, and then graduate public graduate school in Michigan. And I needed a job. And it was 1990, and there was a, D.C. was facing its first recession. I'd done an internship at Riggs Bank, and they offered me an opportunity, and I was really interested in business. Wasn't sure exactly uh, what that meant, but I knew I'd be exposed to a bunch of it in that kind of environment. And I was very fortunate. I was there for a short while, and the, the chairman and CEO, a guy who owned a large stake, it was a public company, but large stake of the bank, a guy named Joel Britton put his arm around me and made me sort of his right-hand person for a couple of years. And uh, he was a mentor that really changed the trajectory of my, my career. Wonderful person. He's passed away, but I really I owe him a lot and sort of showing me how business really got done. They also were owners of a number of media properties, and I got involved in those. Ended up on the board of that media company, helped them do some investing, and realized that really was my passion. Mm-hmm. And from there, that's really what put me into the, the world of uh, media and technology investing. From there, we raised some funds, and then I, I joined, as I mentioned, AOL Time Warner, and then we we found a revolution about 20 years ago. Well, this idea of mentorship, I mean, you're clearly lucky, uh, and I'm sure you would first to admit it, to Extremely have somebody grateful. like that at that level and with that much influence and power, publicly traded company, huge purview to what do you see in mentorship for some of the CEOs for companies that you that you invest in? Do you try to be a mentor? Is a venture capitalist often a mentor? Do you try and find the mentors? How does that play out? So I think this is a, an important philosophical question. The short answer is yes. I think that's an extremely important element of what we do, which is invest at the early stage, right? So as companies become more mature, their management teams become more mature, have more experience, et cetera. They have an operating model that really starts working. But in the early days, they don't. And oftentimes, these are first-time founders, first-time CEOs who have not had the opportunity to build a company before. And one of the things they get out of a venture capital, at least the kind of venture capital that, that we execute, is shared experience. And you could call that mentoring. You can call that guidance. You can call it advice. Um, but I think it's a very important element of what we do. And uh, I, I really do believe that um, mentoring is a very important part of building the careers of, of young entrepreneurs. And well, I guess, I guess also you must find yourself trying to build boards of directors. If the entrepreneur has arrived sort of without a board of director or a board as a sounding board, is that also a, a portion of what you end up doing? It is. So it's interesting. The role of a board and the composition of a board, I think, changes over time. Early on, it's often the investors, mm-hmm. right? Because it's a very small board. It starts, there is no board. A couple investors come on, you create a board. Then you look for an independent that independent oftentimes is the mentor type that you talk about. Somebody from the industry who's been there, done that, with whom the, the founder can relate or to whom the founder can relate. And then as those companies develop and become more mature, you need to start implementing governance structures and things like that. But mentorship is an important part, but not the only part of, uh, of what you think about when you put together a board of directors. I'm sure all of your children are uh, good looking and above, uh, above average, as was famously said in Lake Wobegon. 
But also, as a venture capitalist, you and your colleagues have to allocate time over mm-hmm. the investment portfolio you have. How do you do that? I mean, do you, do you sort of, at some, I say this lovingly and respectfully, do you sometimes find yourself sort of giving up on some folks and pursuing more time with others? How does but, it work? So this is, most venture capitalists would quickly answer that and say, Yes, absolutely. Okay. And in fact, that's mostly the model for venture capital. But you're not most venture capitalists, are you? But we're not most venture capitalists. So our model, we specifically have kept our funds relatively small with concentrated portfolios. And that implies two things. We do that because the greatest constraint that we find is our time, not the application of capital. Um, It's easier, frankly, to raise more capital than it is to find more time to work on companies. Uh, and we we believe in the old school model of really rolling up your sleeves and, and working with these companies. So for us, um, we really try to stick it out in the good times and bad. And I think when potential portfolio companies are doing diligence on their on their investors, some an area that we stand out, uh, an area I try to be, I'm proud to be thought of, I think this way, is we stick it out in the good times and the bad. Certainly, there are situations you don't recover from, and certainly there are situations where you could have worked on it a little or a lot, and they would have done well. But most companies go through ups and downs. It's just the cycle. They haven't worked it out yet. And the model of venture capitalists where in, in which they make 10 bets with the expectation that they only have time to handle two of them, if one of them hits a road bump, they end up in the other eight, mm-hmm. and they become detritus by the side of the road. We try not to do that. I think that's really a differentiator in our strategy, but most venture capitalists would quickly answer this and, and say, yes, we let them go quickly. Well, it's important to have the word detritus used on a regular basis in our conversation. So I appreciate you introducing that. Introducing it's it's that an Moss-Nary use of the it, word detritus. Wow. Two, two fifty centers are up to a dollar with our guest, Ty Savage. Ty is, the, Ty is the managing partner of Revolution Ventures and one of the co-founders of Revolution with Steve Case, he of DC, the legendary uh, co-founder and leader of America Online. So- Let's talk about sort of regulation. I know that there's a trade association, association of venture capitalists, stuff like that, surrounding the industry. Mm-hmm. But what are some ways that you've seen both city, state, or federal regulation affect venture capital? And I'll tease with this. I know that investment in venture capital is treated quite positively with the tax code, i.e. those who get value out of venture capital investments, i.e. your limited partners, have a, have a great motivation to do so because their tax rate is lower for the money that you make them. Do you think that's at risk? Are there other things that you see at risk that, that I, I, I'm not going to go with what you would change right now, but what, what are some of the structures that you see affecting the, the market for investment? Yeah, so let's answer this question in two ways, because I think one applies to the venture capital industry and people who invest capital. Another applies to companies, because there's obviously a lot going on in regulation around technology. Your question is on the former. And on the former, what you're talking about is capital gains treatment of carried interest, the way uh, venture capitalists historically have made their money is we invest others' money. So your college is likely invested in part of its endowment in uh, alternative assets, of which a piece of that is venture capital. In fact, I wish more of it was, but yes, go, well, go ahead. It, so it's been a very, it's been a strong performing category in the last several years for a number of endowments. Yeah. So our job is to make those people money. We don't do our job well when we don't make our investors money. And when we do, assuming we've done it in ways that we're proud of, we do do our job well. We get compensated once they get all of their money back. And then we get a percentage of the profits. Those are gains. By definition, those are profits above the amount that we invested. And as you say, the tax code has this concept of capital gains, which rewards value creation, job creation, 
um, et cetera, because these profits are a function of the gain created by the investment. They've been treated that way. So venture capital, uh, a lot of times you hear startup CEOs say, gee, all the money's green. Why would I choose your firm over another firm? And you touched on this just a moment ago in our conversation where you guys, you keep it small, you keep it tight, you pay attention through the ups and the downs. But do you find yourself sometimes losing out on an investment or a relationship because somebody else got a bigger term sheet, got more value expectation from the investors, a little more smoke was blown up, a little more orifices or whatever, whatever the analogy is. Do you find yourself sort of almost feel like saying to the CEO, you're going to regret this or does that not happen? Well, listen, you know, it, I, I would never tell him you're going to regret this or not regret this. He or she are making their own decisions, their own ways. Put Pri- in your mind. Ty. Well, no, <laughs> no. Price, price is, is an element of it. One of the reasons we keep our funds small is so that we, we, we invest $200 million per fund. That means we do maybe five or six deals a year. Really? We don't need to do every deal that we see. What's extremely important is alignment with entrepreneurs. So if an entrepreneur is solving for greatest valuation or only dollars, there's places to go for that. That's mm-hmm. not really how we try to differentiate ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it would be very disappointing for them and very disappointing for us, given how hard it is to successfully build a firm, um, not to be as aligned as possible at the beginning. It's Ty Savage, managing partner of Revolution Ventures, and he's got some great investments here in Washington, D.C. It's What's Working in Washington. We'll be back with more conversation with Ty after this. taking a break to discuss some ways you might become a little more involved with what's working in Washington. There's several ways. Number one, you could rate us, whether you're listening on on Federal News Network or perhaps on a podcast. Take a moment to rate us positively or negatively. We'd love to hear from you. Secondly, our audience is an obvious one. Folks that care about Washington, D.C. and the environs, folks that care about the Federal News Network, folks that care about our nation. If you'd like to have your message heard by that kind of audience, be sure to contact us for sponsorship opportunities. You can email me directly at Walsh at AOL.com. That's W-A-L-S-H at AOL.com. Yes, it's a dated email address, but it still works. Lastly, we'd like to hear of guests that you think would be great for this show. If there's someone you believe would be a wonderful partner for me on what's working in Washington, be sure to email that same address with the person's name and what you think they'd be good at discussing with me. It's what's working in Washington. What's working in Washington? I'm your host, Mark Walsh, and I'm here with Tyg Savage. He's our guest from the D.C. area, which makes it very easy commute for our guest today. Tyg is the managing partner of Revolution Ventures here in Washington, D.C., co-founder of Revolution with Steve Case, one of the co-founders or founders of AOL back in the day when AOL was bestride the earth, the technology killer here in the Washington, D.C. region. Let's stick with Washington, D.C. You guys have done some great investing here in the area, both in the venture and in the larger equity side. What are some home runs that you're proudest of? It's always very rewarding when your 
hometown um, is a beneficiary of some of the work you do. You, know, you mentioned AOL. There's a really a direct lineage from AOL to a number of things that we've invested in. A lot of talent came out of AOL and went to a lot of places. Including me. Including you. Thank you. Most of the talent is in this room, but a Thank lot you. of... Right, yeah. Some, yeah. Uh, so a lot of talent left AOL. Some of it stayed in the area. And a number of those people got together at a company called Living Social. We were the f- first investors in Living Social. Um, we co-invested in the Series A with another local venture capitalist, uh, Don Rainey, who's a uh, a really great human. Great guy. He's a great guy. And that company really sort of skyrocketed and took off. But it was it was started by three of the four founders were former AOLers. Mm-hmm. And the the guy who ran the company, Tim O'Shaughnessy, uh, had had built his product chops at at Living Social. Um, or uh, Sorry, at AOL. At AOL and yeah. then grew at Living Social. And then the same thing happened. Living Social was sort of a skyrocket company, at least for a little while. Attracted a great amount of talent. That company ultimately merged into Groupon. But another generation of talent came out of that, people like Susan Tynan. Mm-hmm. So Susan we had worked with, but then, but she had known uh, the Living Social folks very well and run a division very successfully for Living Social. She started a local company called Framebridge. And in the sort of small world, we, we backed that idea before it was even a company. Framebridge is frames for f- photographs cheaper than the store down the street. It's exactly what it is. So it's crazy. I mean, your shoes, whatever shoes you're wearing, you did not buy them at a cobbler. I did Guaranteed not. you to buy them in a cup. It's Correct. crazy that a frame today is still built in the same way that that frames were built 100 years ago, like shoes were built by cobblers 100 years ago. So that makes it very expensive. Their idea essentially was to use online distribution to make it very easy for people to buy custom frames and then build a factory, just like everybody else does. I can hear the pitch right now and in the, the room. Right. You well, invested? I love the pitch. Yep. Um, we backed that company, uh, grew that company. Susan's been a great CEO. And then ultimately that company was... Uh, acquired by Graham Holdings, another local local company. So I think that's a great illustration of the arc of talent, that when you build an ecosystem, it really self-perpetuates. A company I know you know well, a company called HomeSnap, a number of local folks, talent really aggregated to build that company, and it was acquired by CoStar recently, yeah. as you know, um, another local one. So it's really nice when you build a local company, it gets acquired locally, and it turbocharges the, uh, the, the local ecosystem. Far out. I mean, how many, well, certainly we know in the Valley, Silicon Valley, that there's that cycle that's so virtuous, so virtuous. Thank you. And often is held up as this sort of shining example of how talent and capital and innovation can all make things great. And I, I don't think Washington gets enough credit for that. Do you do you share that view? Well, I don't, I'm not sure if we get enough credit or not. For sure, uh, Silicon Valley is the pinnacle of that. I mean, it self-perpetuates. But the example I just gave, I think, is an illustration not just of Washington, D.C., but a lot of other areas, how when you invest in an ecosystem, you spend time and energy on it, you bring capital, talent, and ideas together. Over time, with a little bit of luck and a lot of work, you can build ecosystems elsewhere. And that really is the thesis behind revolution. If you ask most people, what does revolution and revolution ventures stand for in terms of investing? It's investing all over the country, not just in the coastal. Well, let's go there, because I know uh, your colleagues have branded that in some ways, branded that effort with Rise of the Rest. Walk us through the history of what was going on when Steve was doing those visits to smaller towns and how that's become an official thing. Yeah. So Rise of the Rest is really a moniker, sort of a a marketing name that we created. And Steve did an incredible job of sort of perpetuating uh, around the concept that the rest, meaning not Silicon Valley, not San Francisco, not New York, not 
Boston, the rest have an opportunity to rise. Technology, and this is super accelerated in COVID, everybody now gets this, but 15 years ago when we started telling this story, not everybody did. The barriers to starting companies just keeps getting lower and lower. Mm -hmm. People can work remotely. People don't have to be on the coasts. Law firms don't, you don't need the law firm in your neighborhood to be able to get great talent. So our idea was to invest against that. And just as we described with Washington, it takes some real ecosystem building to do that. In a very sort of Washington, D.C., you'll recognize sort of political campaign style, uh, we created the Rise of the Rest bus tour. And this title, Rise of the Rest, is what we use to describe our investing style. And we would go city to city, five cities, five days, on a bus. Everyone asked, did Steve really ride the bus? He really rode the bus. And we would uh, get to know the people in those ecosystems, use that as a jumping off point for us to start building longer term relationships, uh, get to know the companies. We'd have a little contest, give away a little bit of money. And the things that we're most proud of are when those really start to percolate and become ecosystems. And for us, this is not just, it's not just good for those environments. It's also good for us because we help build those. And those are the places that we ultimately, as the best ideas rise, as the rest of the ideas rise, that we have an opportunity to, to deploy our capital. Well, for our listeners, <clears throat> I was on the bus five years ago when I worked for the federal government. I was visiting Louisville for a, thing, a function with the SBA, and that was the day that Steve and the bus went into Louisville for a Rise of the Vest arrest event. And as you know, the excitement in Louisville was palpable that not just Steve. I mean, he's sort of he's got the no, rock star it, thing awesome. going. It's awesome. It was awesome. It was unbelievable. It's, it's I've never thing. seen it. It's I've a thing. I was supposed to be at that one, and Mitch McConnell and I got stuck on the same little tiny airplane on the tarmac. At Can't imagine a more entertaining. At, na at National Airport for three hours, okay. and then they sent us home. So I was yeah. sorry to miss that one. Well, it was it was quite the – I came back and told my lovely bride. I was like, uh, uh, being Steve Case was a good day that, that, that day because he was, he was feted by the city fathers, the, the bankers, the mayor, the whole thing. And for all the right reasons, he was absolutely presented as – not the answer, but an answer for generating fresh vitality well, in Louisville. Well, Steve is a real believer in this. I mean, if you know, his his first chapter was extremely successful at AOL, and then we were building revolution. But I think one of the things that you'd have to ask him, but I suspect one of the things that he hopes to leave as a legacy is an impact on entrepreneurship across this country. Mm -hmm. And you know, when he's celebrated, it's not just Steve who's being celebrated; it's the fact that this is happening. I don't know if this is a topic we're going to have time to cover or not, but COVID's been a massive accelerant to this. Yeah. All of a sudden, people can live everywhere, different places. When we started investing in places like Tampa and Washington, D.C. and Portland, Oregon, other venture capitalists who we knew basically said, that's nice, but you guys are crazy. Like, yeah. that's a lot of friggin' work. Today, with COVID, that's really been accelerated, and a lot of the groundwork was done with those bus tours. Well, let's go to COVID for a second. We're talking with Tyke Savage, managing partner of Revolution Ventures here in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. It's what's working in Washington. So COVID has changed a lot of things for the better, as you listed some, or certainly changed a lot of things and offered opportunity to your, some of yep. your point. I wonder about culture. What's your sense for your investments, or even at your own offices here in D.C., the lack of the interaction? How does that change or detract it's from bad. culture? I th it's funny you ask this. Um, because we have this conversation with our CEOs um, and other executives. Uh, I, this is the hardest thing to replicate. Culture and organic communication lines, running into somebody, asking about a question when you don't have to schedule it. Um, I think it's real, it's challenging. Um, and we're starting to have converse, conversations with some of 
our CEOs now about what's the right way to do this because for sure talent likes the new flexibility and I don't think we're ever going back to the way it was Agreed. before. Agreed. I just Agreed. don't think so. Yeah. I don't want to work that way. Nobody else does either. Um, but I do think that culture suffers. So we, we spend a lot of time thinking about this, talking about this, some ways to do it or get to get your gang of your team or employees together in different locations at different times. It doesn't have to be the office. Some right. are going to demand on having the office together. It's a hard one to solve. Well, it doesn't matter because the metaverse is going to solve all this, right? This, right. Yeah. A few billion dollars in a few years. That's all we need. That's all we need. So it's that time of the show with our guest, Ty Savage, your managing partner, Revolution Ventures, to ask the um, if you were the king of the world for one day question. So I'm going to ask you two things, and this is Washingtonian centric. So I, I, I preface it with that. If you were in charge of the whole thing for one day, what regulation, law, structure, government agency, would you change or remove or walk away from? And then, conversely, if you were in charge for one day, what would you build, import, bring right in, and have working right away? So I'm going to answer this twice, but I'll do it quickly. Let's do it. Certainly in the context of what I do on a day-to-day basis. Something I think that's, and I'll try to put this in, in the realm of not impossible and then maybe impossible. Okay. So number one, the not impossible. I would move R&D dollars, yeah. some large chunk of federal R&D dollars, into the hands of companies. Companies can make change. They can do it quickly. I think it would be a net positive. It's not necessarily industrial policy, but I think it's a very good idea. In terms of sort of your second question, immigration is obviously a very complicated question. It's really hard to debate the fact that the smartest people in the world do some of the best things in the world. and, And the winners attract the smartest people in the world. We should have some kind of worker passport, technology passport. Otherwise... We're just, you know, there's so much concern about China and places like that, yet we're not letting the best talent in. Agreed. Exactly what that looks like. I know a lot of people will debate, but those are the manageable things. So first of all, congratulations. You chose two meta themes and had a suggested solution for them. So very good job, brother. I, that's I, what's we, right with Washington. We, well, that's what right with Washington is people like you can dream big. I think your first example may actually happen before your second. I think R&D dollars are being not as much as you may suggest, but for instance, my old job, as you know, at the... SBA was SBIR dollars, which were billions of dollars a year parsed out to smaller companies. But there's a bigger play here. Listen, Tyg, thanks for being with us today on What's Working in Washington. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Tyg Savage, the managing partner of Revolution Ventures, is our guest today on What's Working in Washington, talking about venture capital and all things important for investment. Thanks for listening. Our audience is an obvious one. Folks that care about Washington, D.C. and the environs, Folks that care about the Federal News Network. Folks that care about our nation. If you'd like to have your message heard by that kind of audience, be sure to contact us for sponsorship opportunities. You can email me directly at walsh at AOL.com. That's W-A-L-S-H at AOL.com. Thanks for listening. You know, I often find myself wondering, what's great about Washington, D.C.? And then I'm reminded about our business, our government, our arts, our not-for-profits, our education arenas. All are fantastic and special, not only to our nation, but really to the world. I'm glad I live here. I hope you are too. And I hope that our show continues to give you some enlightenment, some information, some actionable intelligence, and hopefully some enthusiasm about what works in Washington, D.C. So once again, thanks for listening. What's Working in Washington is brought to you by a very talented team. Besides me, the host, Mark Walsh, we have our executive producer and editor, Tracy Madigan. Assistant producer is Anna DeGraff. And the theme music you enjoy is performed by the Sunbathers.
You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.